Salutations, friends. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Recap Book Chat. My name is Kate, and this is my mom, Sheila. And we are just so excited that you're with us today. And I wanted to share a quote from Teddy Roosevelt. I am part of everything that I have read. What have you been reading? We'll share with you what we've been reading and what's at the top of our book stack. And welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for stopping by. We just finished reading Your Brain's Not Broken by... Tamara Rosier, doctor. doctor. She's a doctor. PhD. And the, was it the byline or tagline is strategies for navigating your emotions and life with ADHD. Quick read. Such a good one though. Powerful. Very good book. And where did you hear about this? So there is a um, lady who, her name is Robin and she has a, a YouTube channel called Minimalist Home. And in her family, everybody is ADHD, but one kid. And so she recommended Your Brain's Not Broken. And uh, I feel like I have ADHD. Kate feels like she doesn't. And she read it to help her navigate uh, dealing with people with that. My husband has ADHD. And um, one of my kids has tendencies. And so, yes, I was curious. I wanted to learn more about it. And I have learned a ton. So this is... And I, so, and the lady that wrote the book has ADHD. So she's coming from a place of a lot of experience with it. And then she's also, that is her focus mm-hmm. is helping people um, overcome, overcome, deal, deal with it. Well, yes. Yeah. Navigate, um, navigate the world, navigate at the best, be their authentic self. Bring I, your A like game. Yes. Yeah. Well, and she tells, she starts the book out with, um, some people are kind of condescending to you knowing that, like this one lady said, I know you'll forget, so I did this. Well, it was like a slap in the face to her. So um, I liked what she said there. She said little things like that, little small messages, put dents in her self-esteem. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's a good way of saying that. And people don't realize they were doing that. No, And like teachers, this is huge in, in the world of teaching because there are some kids that it's easy to have a clean desk and all that. But, I mean, for an ADHD kid uh, or adult, that's a struggle. And the struggle is real. And I know that because, you know, and I I try not to take that personally because my desk is a mess. But I try to kind of throw myself under the bus before anybody else has a chance to. That was the way I coped with that in humor. But Mm -hmm. she has really cool titles of the chapters and just some really uh, having had herself and her kids she ha- she comes at it from a lot of different angles and um, and then I mean, clients. Yeah. So she, she, I like that she doesn't just. It's not just her experience with ADHD. No. She's coming at it. She's had it. Her she, most of her kids, her husband. She's gone through so many clients. So, and that's the thing too that I like that she brings up that is that ADHD is different uh, for different people. Mm-hmm. Like it's not all cookie cutter. It's not yeah. all exactly the same. And so what's something that resonated with you? Well, there was a ton. But one thing is that 
time blindness, which is so, I know it's hilarious because I heard it on a podcast and these guys were making fun of time blindness. But she said it's really a thing. And I have always, like at the beginning of the year, I think, well, uh, a day or two, I'll have my room ready. Well, it doesn't happen like that for me. And so I always underestimate a big project that would take a week. And I remember Tamara Hall, you know, she'd say, well, it's going to take a week because she was not thinking like uh, me. And she also said, Sheila, you need to get it out of the out of the planning stage and all. I, he, she said, I can almost see the brain cells turn your, the gears in your mind going, we can do this and we can do that. For a moment, you just need to do the physical part. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, there is such a thing as too many ideas. Well, and I like that how she breaks that down even more so, because I've been with you and I've helped you at the end of the year. And it, it <laughs> in is- the beginning and end. And yeah. you are so good with ideas and you're so ready to go in that direction. But when it's like, okay, like, the very technical or like kind of the boring, what you considered boring, you didn't, the mundane details, you don't want to deal with that. You want the ideas and all that. And she talks about that as the divergent thinking and convergent thinking. And I love that she broke that down. I thought that was so interesting because you really need both to make decisions. You have to have both, but you can't do both at the same time. She said using both at the same time would be like stepping on the gas and pushing the brake at the same time. But in your life, you need to make room for both. But some people kind of tend, I think I consider it like right or left-handed. You're kind of, there's a propensity to go one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. And so divergent thinking, uh, those people are going to be more, more creative, creative, more, uh, no, it's out of the box thinkers and um, and that doesn't follow the line of thinking that you would think to like they they could get to a solution but it's gonna go it's not gonna be one solution it, there's gonna it, be a lot a like, lot of solutions yeah. yes like Mozart and Einstein and Galileo and all those people yeah I mean it's gonna be crazy like Da Vinci's notebooks were you know yes, like he was very thinking of flight and all this kind of stuff so um yeah, and I, and I also liked on that where she tells you you need to balance it. And she said there's a time to generate ideas and a time to evaluate them and move forward. So that made me think, I can't have all these ideas if I don't stop and, and pick one. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just keep coming up with ideas, mm-hmm. you know. My, at home, I come up with an idea, and I want Bob to do it. <laughs> That's my idea. You, you know, have so. great ideas. Yeah, you right. really do. And then I, and my son, one of my sons, I feel like he has the propensity for divergent thinking. And I liked what she said, too. They also call it um, possibility, mm-hmm. possibility brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is from the book. One 11-year-old had a possibility brain that led him to conduct many unsupervised experiments that caused damage to property or people. <laughs> and I have experienced that uh, with my son. He is a he loves to do all sorts of experiments. And, and I think cooking is an experiment. It is an experiment. And she has really cool chapter titles. One chapter title was Elves, Dirty Baby, and Lucille Ball. And what that is, and that was really hard for me. I kind of stopped at that chapter because she wants you to give your ADHD a metaphor. Mm. And that's where that came from. One lady said it was elves, and the elves come in and move everything. And then the other one said, I, it's just dirty babies. No matter how much I wash them, they're always dirty. And then one was like Lucille Ball and the Chocolate Factory. And I tried to think of mine, and that's why 
I, I thought of, okay, I'm on a bicycle and I'm riding and then a motorcycle comes and hits my rear tire fast and then I'm wobbly and wobbly. And that's kind of was a good metaphor for me because that actually had happened to me. So, yes. <laughs> and I, I thought that's it because you're like losing control. Yes. But then you try to gain control, and um, but she had it's a lot almost of like different... an invisible car hit you though, because yeah. no one else is. It's almost like everyone everyone's on their bikes, and it's like wow, why is Sheila having the problem? Like yeah. you're wobbly, you're like bam, like. And sometimes you know how to ride the bike, and sometimes it looks like you don't know how to ride yeah. the bike. So everyone around you is like judging you, like. Mm-hmm. Look, she doesn't know how to ride a bike. Yeah. You're like, I know how to ride a bike. This car is hitting me, yeah. but it's invisible. And that she used that example, too, of for her. I thought it, she said it feels like I'm running a race, but then I, I fall and I look down and I have one leg. And I'm trying to run. Uh, everyone else has two legs and they're running this race. And I'm trying to do the same race with only one leg. And so I was like, that's what I think as a teacher or parent, you ought to think about you know, why do I have to treat this kid different than this kid and all this? Well, I mean, if a kid, if you have a kid that wears glasses, that doesn't mean you automatically put glasses on all your kids. Mm-hmm. So um, we, some of us need glasses. That If one kid is in a wheelchair or on crutches, everybody in the family doesn't get on wheel, wheelchair. So we understand it in some aspects, but in this aspect, we, as teachers, uh, college doesn't always prepare, prepare you. They kind of make you think that all the kids are just like sitting in their desk, just, oh, please impart knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> we but, brought but you to learn. That's not exactly how it goes. So I'm, I'm thinking, um, but I feel like her books like this are so important to bring compassion and empathy, mm-hmm. especially to um, neurotypical people. Like, yeah. I feel like for me... Oh, it could help both ways. Like yeah. the time blindness, she says, if it's a big project, multiply it by three. So if I think something's going to take an hour... Is going to take three. Or if I think it's going to take one day, it's going to take three days. Well, that would have helped me a lot. Yes. And then, little mundane task, I might not even start them because I'm going to like, well, that's going to take forever. And she thought that about unloading the dishwasher. And she said, I set a timer once and it took me 10 minutes. But she said, I saw that taking 30 minutes yeah. or more. But I just think there's a really good quote that I got out of there. And I, um, he, who suff- he who fears shall suffer already suffers what he fears is you kind of got to let that Mm. soak in but i think sometimes we're just fearful of um being different so if you if there's an adhd kid or somebody with those tendencies they're they know they're different I, i knew i was different that i thought differently so they already know that and there's a fear of being rejected so i think the greatest thing you can do to anyone is to accept accept them and just say, how, how did that make you feel? Talk about things, but not uh, try to cookie cutter everybody mm. and, and want everybody to be the same. Yes. You know, God made everybody different. Why? I mean, he's the great creator, you know, and we are, we bear his image. So there's a plethora of examples, you know, so I just think I, sometimes we don't do that. We one don't of my favorite it. quotes came from that section when she's talking about her daughter was ex- said she felt like a misfit toy oh, I love from that. the island of misfit toys and then that quote um she said she didn't need me to fix the toy she needed me to be with her on the island and i was mm-hmm. like oh that's so powerful and so it's not about if you're you know if you have a adhd kid and they feel different they don't need you to fix that just need you to be with them on the island mm-hmm. and i love that there's a lot of power in that 
And um, another uh, chapter title, uh, something about, I can't even remember the name of it, but it had the butler. Do you remember the butler one? I do remember the butler. And um, I don't know if it was a chapter title, but it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, The Case of the Missing Butler. Okay, so what that is, your prefrontal cortex, it acts like a calm and rational butler, like in your life. It might be calm, rational. But she can tell you, uh, and so can anybody that knows me, I lose my phone all the time. Why? Because I don't have this calm and rational <laughs> butler. So it says... You're the screaming neighbor. Yeah, I've got... I have the... Ang Yo, where's your phone, woman? You know, I've got that. And so I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me because there, I have friends that have never lost their phone, ever. And uh, what's really ironic in college, I had a roommate and she was just totally the opposite of me. And we got along, but uh, she... I think she thought she needs help <laughs> because if everything, you know, she had a place for everything and everything in this place. And I, I just think that I, I want that. That's a goal. Mm -hmm. But then there's a part of the rebel part of me. Well, that's boring. Let's mix it up a little bit. <laughs> well, when you do that, you can't find anything. So. Well, and she says that too. A lot of ADHD people, um, I think I wrote that down from the book, um, those with ADHD rely on emotional centers in their brain to remember things, make decisions, and motivate themselves. So I thought, I did not know that. I did not realize that. And even being married to someone with ADHD, I'm learning that. And he's told me stuff like that before, that he uses negative emotion to help him remember things. Or like, oh, you know, he'll get worked up about something to help him remember not to leave his phone or, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that's... That's weird. Like, I don't know. I don't understand that. But from reading this book, I'm like, oh, it's because you're missing the butler. And so ha that high emotion helps you remember. But at the same time, it's extremely draining. Mm -hmm. And so that over the long period, you're, you're damaging yourself. And so I love that she brings solutions to that where you, where you can kind of have these tricks on to stay calm, still remember, have different things, but you're not having that chaos and yeah, that, turmoil yes she calls one thing dancing through the minefield and stuff seeing like i and so he does that i don't do that but he probably remembers where his keys are too but she's she does talk uh she quotes carol the wick on positive uh, i mean fixed mindset and growth mindset and how you you should talk to your uh past present and future self i like that very yeah. positively and, and i thought that was I, I like that. And then one part, she had uh, face your monsters, and she gives the recipe for monster spray, which I, I thought that was kind of cool. That was cool. Just water with peppermint oil or something. You yes. Know, but I thought it was cool. Like, you could spray it under your bed if there's monsters under your bed or spray it. But, I mean, I think she's trying to use all the different senses, and, like, she's doing different people. So, um, there's things that would work for one person that wouldn't work for another mm -hmm. and different I mean well and so the monster spray was with a with a child who was having trouble sleeping or scared to get in the shower mm -hmm. and so she gave the recipe for monster spray to the mom and but it's a sense of empowering you can do something and so it's like a lot of times people have these fears and anxieties and don't think that they they feel helpless they feel helpless and so i think and even there's even adults that use the monster spray mm -hmm. because it's like a it's a reminder I can do something I can and even if it's a sense something that reminds them I can take control of this thought I can well sense is a powerful um, 
thing that we don't always use sometimes. Yes. You know, they say that's your, you, it's a strong memory. Sense is a strong yes. memory. Like uh, baby powder or something like that or suntan lotion. If you, kids, if you pass smells around men, they know that what that is. And it's like, it'll, um, it'll bring up memories, I think. And um, so I think, and you know, we know for a fact like lavender and uh, peppermint, those are happy kind of happy i know peppermint is like we're together i'm pouring tea if you hear that so yeah. have a cup of tea well, we're together having a tea one. party i a also another thing was adhd there's some misconceptions and i wrote one of the, some of those down a lack of um we think a adhd person has a lack of ability to pay attention and that's not true actually they pay too much attention mm. and they are hyper focused they completely immerse themselves and um, that is so true. And I was just blessed beyond measure to be in a profession where I immerse myself in teaching. But anybody that worked with me can tell that I didn't look at the clock. And I, my kids would have went hungry if I didn't have really good colleagues that would knock on my door. Lunchtime, time to go. But I was immersed in that. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's true. And it seemed like by the time I got to school and left was about um, 30 minutes is what it seemed like to me. Wow. Yeah. But you were also, when you were taught at public school, you were the team leader. And I thought that was really cool that you, like, you knew your weaknesses and strengths. And so you knew your your strength is idea. And that anything with the mundane calendar, time, and all that, you pass that off to someone else who was yeah. good at that. Everybody on my team would say, it's, it's picture day. And I'm like, oh! yeah, it was... I have, I was blessed with a lot of good good solid people that were on the top of their well, game. It's funny because like I liked her. Uh, what do you call that at the beginning? Dedication. She said uh, she was talking about to the ADHD posse, and she she listed her family. Thank you for your daily inspiration. We're all in this together. And then to the neurotypicals, and she lists them. And she said, thank you for your love, your patience, and lending us your prefrontal cortices every once in a while. Yeah. So that's what you said. Hey, thank you for lending me your prefrontal yeah. cortices. And, and God puts you where you need to be, you know. And I, and I think, yeah, it's good to come up with ideas, but it's not very good if you don't know the calendar. You know, if, and I've actually, I, I can't tell you how many times I've planned for... Um, a day or something on my planning and people say oh we're out monday i mean i had a lot of good caring people that would say mm -hmm. no don't come to school monday so and i'm i'm grateful so grateful for those people and for you you're my neurotypical one so i think yeah your brothers probably both kind of struggle with this you know i mean it's a it's just like you you think differently and you can kind of tell that as a mom that you're thinking whoa this one's a little different you know mm -hmm. and you're like hmm and as a kid uh, having a turbulent childhood I kind of dealt with my because uh, my mom definitely would not have been ADHD so I'm sure I was a struggle as uh, you know for her and at that time see I think it would be it's easier for me because I, I majored in that and I had like learning disabilities and they talk about all that so I kind of I thought it was cool. The brain's working differently. Whoa. But in there, it said that fun, uh, humor is a coping mechanism. So I don't know if it's all, but the class clown may be dealing with a lot more. Oh, thing. sure. And I know I've heard Jim Carrey talk. I mean, some of those people who are really funny, 
like Robin Williams and all that. He's extremely depressed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, so you can, um, that can be a coping mechanism. So yes. that's a, something for teachers and parents to be aware of. If mm-hmm. something's always a joke, yes, uh, there's probably something serious going yeah. on underneath that. That's a good point. And I li- it, also like the, she talks about pills don't teach skills. Yes, over and over. She mentioned that over and over. And so, and she's not against medication, and I, li- I think a lot of her clients are on medication and everything. But I, at the beginning, someone was even um, writing, um, praising her book, and they were saying, you know, glasses may help you see, it may help you see, but they don't help you read. And so what she's doing is it's like she's teaching skills. So these are ways to really adapt and make your life calm and productive and where you where you're not living at that fight or flight mode Mm -hmm. you're you're living you're not in survival mode basically yeah and the also when she talks about um and i don't know that i really understood this but uh, adhd people are really really curious ultra curious but the on the other hand they are very sensitive to rejection and criticism so I mean I I I didn't really think of myself as being sensitive, but uh, I'm very curious, and mm-hmm. I think well you know, as a kid I was probably really sensitive. I think I might have learned how to deal with that. But uh, and she I love her four colors. Oh, talk about that was really cool. The quadrants. I think this is this is the big takeaway. If this is the you definitely need to read this book if you know someone with ADHD or if you have ADHD. But this, I've, it, and it's for anybody, but yeah, I feel actually. like it, it's, it's really cool. And it's called the, what's it called? Solve It Grid. The Solve It Grid. Go ahead. Explain that. Well, um, the, so you picture, let's picture a stove that has four burners. And uh, one, the back burner is on the left was red. And red is like cooking on high. You're cooking on high. You got a monitor, or it's going to burn out. So this is exhausting. And from this, when you're in that that high emotional stimulation, and it's not fun, that would be it. Just you're going to deplete yourself very quickly. That's waiting to the last minute. You have a deadline. You've waited too long, and then you have all the adrenaline pumping. Like oh, I got to get this in. I got to get think this it done. works because it, because you, know, you meet the deadline. Yeah, yeah. And you got an A on the term paper, or you mm-hmm. you made a great splash on your project or something. But you know? your adrenals take a hit. Yeah, and then um, underneath that is the other one that's not fun, or in front of that on a stove burner would be yellow. And it is uh, the mundane, um, and it will gradually deplete, deplete your battery. This would be like taking out the trash, um, do, doing something yeah. Homework. that's boring, yeah. boring. And then on the other, and th- this is that would be low emotional stimulation. And beside that is blue, which is also low emotional stimulation, but it's fun. And she says this is hard to get out of this one. It's like molasses swamp from Candyland. So this would be like, these are the people that binge watch Netflix or play video games and never quit. It's easy and you stress-free, but you're not accomplishing anything. You are recharging your battery somewhat. But not a lot. But not as efficiently as the next. The last one, you want to tell us about the last one? Is green. And that's really the one I think that would be the ideal mm-hmm. one to be in. And so it's it's a, you get a high emotional stimulation on green, but it's in the fun quadrant. And so 
it is really refreshing it really refuels and that could be and it, it's that's the best one for your relationships that's one where you're, you're doing something together um you're probably outside you might be on a walk or whatever's you know like you could be reading if you're a reader you or cooking be, yes or something that create. refuels you and replenishes you good for relationships that's the green but reminds us of what we value yes and you're going to hit all of these mm -hmm. but it's good to know which one which one is which and she also said it's important to ask yourself how do you feel like she said a lot of people with adhd they're going to make these big lists they're going to get overwhelmed they're not going to do any of them mm -hmm. or they're going to you know or yeah like i had something uh, avoidance lets us feel productive by accomplishing something Let, let's say that i was supposed to do a big project but i uh painted my kitchen and that's what happens sometimes mm -hmm. you're like oh well and why would you paint your kitchen if you had a project due? Mm. You know, but it makes you feel good because you did get something done. So I thought that was interesting because um, when, you, yeah, like this doesn't replace a to-do list, but also she talks about your best time. And that would be different with everyone. But mm -hmm. if your best time is between 8 and 10, then you want to do the green or some or you want to do your yellow yeah you're at your peak time but you don't want to do if if it's a bad time you don't want to do something creative or mm -hmm. you know so i i just thought yeah because any time could be blue i mean if you're tired well you could still do that that's true you know but as far as your work day goes like and she said too it takes um it takes time to get yourself going in the morning to get your brain to that peak spot and then also at night she said it takes 45 minutes to really turn your brain off and so but knowing those times and, and having instead of having just a to-do list you're like okay put it in a quadrant mm -hmm. what yeah, i'm going to work this is my yellow time i'm going to get my yellow i'm going to answer emails i'm going to go through the pay bills this is my yellow time and you that's why i'm going to be that. highly productive during mm -hmm. that time yeah and then on the next couple chapters, she talked about climbing the ladder, which was the different levels. So, uh, and level five is delusional, level four is survival, level three is autopilot, level two, attending to, and level one is present and calm. And you're, you're gonna go up and down that level, those rungs too, but she says usually we're on autopilot, but she talked about having a client come that was a, a young man and his dad was pretty um, aggressive. Aggressive, yeah, because he said, what gives you the skills to work with it? And kind of doubting and he had a, you know, and all that. And she said, if I hadn't been operating at level one, I would have taken offense to that. But she said, of course you've got questions. And Step she, into my office. Yeah, and she said, because I was at a level one. And so I, I thought that was interesting because if you're dealing with kids, it's we need to bring our A game, which would be our level one. Yes. So we're not messing with their... Because it's really hard for kids to separate who they are with what they do. If you yell at a kid because he spilled the milk, he's taking that all in for what I am, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's different than adults don't do that. But, I mean, we do need to bring our A game. That's but what. if you start at the top, you have more wiggle room. Mm -hmm. So you can, you, like you said, she handled those stressors better. And But what I got out of that, too, is that you to get to the top of the ladder, you have to actively climb it. You, mm -hmm. 
you have to make an intentional effort to get to the top of that ladder. And it's just not just going to be like, oh, this is just, you know, you have to do positive mindset work. You have to really make a concerted effort, set your intention for the day, do all these things to have and make sure you have that peaceful time in the morning to yourself. Mm-hmm. You that you create that space where you're able to start there. So I thought that was really interesting because every because you get knocked down the rungs mm-hmm. and you know we don't want to end up on survival but we've all been there where you're like oh my you're you're re-. at that point you're not responding like you want to you're just reacting that's right you're very agitated you're out for yourself you can't think of others because you're surviving mm-hmm. so fight or flight yes yeah and then at closer she talks about creating healthy boundaries closer to the end and i loved what she said because boundaries are rules we set for ourselves they are physical, emotional, mental limits. And um, like she, and, and she also said, don't make a boundary that you're, gonna, you're not going to monitor. Mm. Because the minute, and you talked about that too, the minute you don't monitor, it, that boundary's down. Mm. So I thought that was. And she said ADHD people typically struggle with boundaries. Mm-hmm. Monitoring, and it, it, you know, and it, that's like a classroom teacher or a parent. If you have a rule, that you don't enforce, like if you say lights out by nine or eight thirty or what, and they're having a party by and ten at ten o'clock, then that's not really a rule. Mm-hmm. That's more of a suggestion. And you know, I, and she talks about if we really enforce those boundaries, then they become habits. Then we can do it without thinking. And boy, that takes a lot of pressure. Off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that takes something off your plate if you've turned it into a habit. Which, and. Um, I love this part. Shame is another item found in many ADHD houses. Uh, she's talking about your ha- your inner house and then your yard and all that. But Teresa's house was full of it. I guess you could call me a shame hoarder. Her childhood had been a rough one. She grew up believing that she was somehow bad and not worthy of love. I mean, I get it here. She pointed to her head. So in her head, she knew it intellectually. And then she said, I know that I'm worthy of being loved, but I don't get it here. And she placed her hand on her heart. And she felt persistent emotional burden of not being good enough. She was a shame collector. I think that's, uh, kids can do that pretty easily because they just play something over and over. I heard a man, I think he's an author, but Alvin Gronowski, I just remember that because he had an unusual name. But he said in fifth grade, he, he spilt the glue or something, and his fifth grade teacher yelled at Alvin Granowski, you are no asset to this classroom. And he said he heard that every time he made a mistake. And when wow. I heard him, he was like 55 years old, and he said, I still hear it. Wow. Yeah, so I thought, wow, that is so powerful. So as parents and teachers, we just need to, you know, man, I think start the day with prayer because we're going to need some help. <laughs> well, sure. I've heard it said that the what you say to kids is what will become their inner voice. Just like what you said with that guy. Mm-hmm. What was what was said at him is what that's going to become his his and, inner voice. And yeah. so we got to just make sure we're saying positive things. And that's not to mean you, you can't be honest. And she said if you're if you're the child is off and if the child is having an off day and says I'm stupid then you don't really need to say right at that moment no you're not because they'll argue with you 
So you just say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry you're having a rough day. Or, I'm sorry you think that. Yeah. I'm sorry you feel that way. I know you're frustrated, but later on you can say, what could we say instead of that? This mm-hmm. is hard. This is challenging or something. And being um, empathetic. And I like, too, that the ADHD kids, she, someone had asked her, I think many people, like, what's something important with, when you're raising an ADHD kid? And she said, it's super important to empower your kids to problem solve. And I think it's important to, for any kid to problem solve, yeah. but even more so with ADHD kids because if they if they have that ability, if they have that skill set and they have that confidence to know I can solve this problem and then that's great for self-esteem and and hopefully that'll prevent those problems with shame and um all of that down the road. Yeah, because well, just to know that it's going to be like, I feel like in life, we're all walking up a mountain or a hill. But I think for the ADHD kid, it has rocks and crevices and more so than... And then and they don't have shoes on. Yeah. They're feeling... And, they're feeling and they have more. their heads in the cloud. And they're going to trip and fall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think... And we're, another thing that I... I am very impatient. Like, I don't like to stand in line at all. And I don't like to go shopping, which is weird. And uh, she told a guy, she told a story about a guy in the spice aisle at the <laughs> store, and he's like having a meltdown because he can't find the spice and everything. And it's, it doesn't seem like I know most people just calmly go through the store, but yeah, when I get in a store, it seems like I've been in there a long time and I need to get out. And that's weird. Yeah. So that was helpful to me because my husband has, when he's been at the store, He's been on the spice aisle and called me and I didn't I didn't have the the empathy or compassion or understanding at that time. I was like it's I didn't understand why he couldn't find something. So that helped me understand that uh you guys are taking in a lot more a lot more information. It's overwhelming mm-hmm. and and so you just want to get out. So and, the, and at the end of the book, it's uh, Dancing Through the Day. She talks about managing sleep and how sleep is difficult for many reasons. For example, for more than 80% of those with ADHD, the sleep cycles are flipped. Instead of sleeping deeply in one of the first two sleep cycles, like their neurotypical counterparts, they wake up multiple times until 4 a.m. And then they fall into the sleep of the dead, she calls it. But that, and, and then you're almost, it, you're, it's almost time to get up. Yes. And she, you know, like hitting the snooze button and all that. Of course, we all have heard that that's not a good thing to do. Yes. But um, I didn't know all that, how important sleep was for, it says waste clearance system in your body only takes place when you're in that deep sleep. And that is linked to Alzheimer's disease. Because it says sleep is necessary. To, you got to get rid of that. It's like plaque building up. So, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. Such a good read. And I, I would think, too, one of the important things, and it was at the end, but for me, I would say recommend this, especially to everybody, but even people who aren't ADHD but know people who are. Um, at the end, she said a good question to ask uh, or is to separate it. it a good practice to have, I guess, is to separate who your partner or child or friend or whoever is that has ADHD from their symptoms or behaviors. Because it's easy to, because it's, it's unseen, it's not, it's an unseen disability. And so it's easy mm-hmm. to think, 
that's a character flaw. And a lot of ADHD people are Typecast. wrongly, yeah. wrongly labeled instead of, and so, and that's why I think they have what she said, dents to their self-esteem because, but so it's important to separate who the child is, who your spouse is, who the, the person is, your friend, whoever it is to separate their, their symptoms from the actual person. And this was one of my favorite uh, parts. It says, all parents need to love their children, but feeling loved is critical for children who feel like a misfit toy. Loving children with stubborn sort of love means that they can't do anything that will make you love them less. The reverse is also true. They can't do anything that will make you love them more. Your love for them is permanent. And you let them know this each day. Children who grow up with parents who have practiced stubborn love are much more confident. I just thought that was beautiful. I love that. So go practice stubborn love yeah. with your ADHD friends and family. And go grab your brain's not broken. And I think it will be enlightening. Because somewhere in your life there's an ADHD person who needs that support that can only come from a loved one from you yes and we'll see you on the next one keep those book lights burning and those pages turning and go out and make a difference mm -hmm.